Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, Nick taught on this chapter last week, and uh, we're going to see again a couple more verses of this uh, chapter. Throughout history, one of the great means of revival in the church is the prayer of God's people. A prayer it brings men to God and God to men. It is one of the most precious gifts that our Lord has given to us, to be able to come before Him in prayer and commune with Him in that way. It is something, however, that we tend to neglect. And uh, the impetus of this series is spiritual reformation in the area of prayer, hoping that the Lord would bring a revival in our own lives, and the life of our church, the life of our city and country and world. And we have a big God, so we can think big thoughts uh, like that. Uh, the second great awakening that numbers-wise is the greatest number of converted people in the history of the United States at a period of time, some credited the beginning of it to a prayer meeting, a group of, men, of people getting together. Later on in Chicago area, Chicago and New York, uh, businessmen started getting together, Christian businessmen started getting together at lunch for prayer, and revival also broke there. So if uh, God's people pray, um, the, Lord, the Lord blesses the, that. First, uh, this is our third week, and in our first week, we actually, remember we did backwards, we started with a, the how-tos, the very practical part, and we considered... Um, some practical lessons to help us pray prayerful prayers. Then last week, um, we learned the framework of prayer from this same passage, uh, starting with Thanksgiving and so on. Tonight, we'll look at a couple of worthy petitions that uh, Paul makes in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1. Then we'll see what, what goal Paul had in praying these things, because these are... Uh, representative goals, that is, they're goals that we should have as well as we pray uh, to our Lord. And then we want to see, we're going to end tonight, Lord willing, by looking at what motivated Paul to pray these prayers uh, for the Thessalonians to our God. You know, if we adopt Paul's spiritual framework, his eternal perspective on things, and Paul is always looking to eternity. Eternity drives how he functions now. Uh, and, and if we had also adopted his practice of constantly thanking God for the signs of his grace at work in our midst, what sorts of requests should we present to God? If we are constantly thankful for the evidences of the grace that God has put in our midst, and if our focus is always eternal, that we live now, because our eyes is on the life to come. What sort of petitions, what sort of prayers do we bring to the Lord? Well, if you look at verse 11, it begins with the word therefore, at least in the New King James. In other translations, you're going to have a similar uh, transition word. Um, I think the ESV has several words in the place of the therefore, in such a manner or something like that, to this end. But the altar is in the same word that connects what came before. So to this end, therefore, because of all this thanksgiving, and because of who Christ is, who's, been, who's working in the midst of his church, Paul prays these two prayers. So the therefore makes clear that Paul's petitions 
follow directly from his thanksgiving in verses 3 through 10, which um, Nick addressed some of it last, uh, last Wednesday evening. So we're going to look at, in verse 11, two worthy petitions that Paul makes. So let's read together verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the pleasures, all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Can you identify the two petitions that Paul is making there for the the Thessalonians? Two things that we too should pray for one another? to To count or to make yourselves worthy and... Right. Now, and we're going to see that in a moment. Notice in the New King James, at least, the His, there, the His goodness is in italics. So it's not in the original language, it's an interpretation. And it's likely that it shouldn't be there. It's just the good pleasure, the pleasure of goodness and the goodness of the people. The goodness the people are striving. And Paul is praying that the people, as the Spirit works in them, as, as they have new desires because of the Holy Spirit, that God would bless them and enable them to accomplish that goodness that they are setting out to, to do. So these are the two petitions that Paul is praying. So first, the apostle, and that's not just here, the apostle constantly asks God to count these Christians, and Christians in general, worthy of God's calling. To that there in the beginning of verse uh, 11. Uh, the Bible sometimes uses the word calling, uh, the, the language of calling, to refer to God's invitation to people who may refuse to come. Remember, there's a parable where the, uh, to a wedding feast and the, uh, the, the, the host sent people invitations and people didn't come, and then they sent more invitations and people didn't come, and, and so on. So sometimes the, the Bible uses language of calling in that way, but in Paul's writings, Paul consistently speaks of God's effective call. That is, God truly saves those whom he calls. So when he talks about here in verse 11, uh, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, the calling they already received, they already mentioned in the previous verses. He's talking about worthy of the salvation that they received in Jesus Christ. Now, remember that God does not call those whom he counts worthy. Nobody deserves to be saved by God. And you can only be saved by God when you realize that. Does it make sense? As long as you think that God owes you salvation, you are not going to be saved by the Lord. It is when you come naked before him, not bringing anything of your own, knowing, Lord, I'm not worthy of your salvation, please save me. That's when he extends his grace to you and and saves you. But he calls unworthy people and then summons them to live according to their calling. In praying that God would make these believers worthy of his calling, Paul is asking God to so work in their lives that they will grow up into Christian maturity. So what Paul is praying is, God, you called Jerry into salvation. You declared him to be perfect in your sight, in his justification to be innocent of, of sin in your justification, to be perfect in your sight, in your, in your uh, uh, definitive sanctification. Now I'm praying that Jerry would live in this life what you made him to be in your presence. 
that's what Paul's praying when he prays that uh, the believer would walk worthy of the calling that he or she received in Jesus Christ. It's a strange paradox. Now, Paul is constantly telling people to become what they are. That's what, that's what the, you are this in Christ. Now become in your life, now on this, in this plane, what you are in the eternal plane. Uh, that's how Colossians 3 begins. Now, uh, if you have been raised with Christ, which actually is if, it has a strength of sense. So since you've been raised with Christ, then live the life of having been raised with, with Christ. So in essence, Paul is saying, saying that since we already are children of God because of His free grace to us in Christ, we must now become all that such children should be. We're going to mature. We're going to walk and become more like Jesus Christ. So the first petition that Paul prays for this church is that his brothers and sisters would grow into their faith, would grow in maturity, would become more like Jesus Christ. And notice that he prays that before he prays for anything else for them, is that they would grow in, uh, in maturity. So Paul is saying that God has graciously called us, now we must live up to that calling. And we're going to see in a moment that's all by his grace, so that at the end, he receives all the glory. The reality is that our prayers often give us an honest and sobering window into what we truly value. If you want to know what we truly value, you look at three things. The way we pray, what we pray for is one. Our calendars and our checkbook. Those three things seem to be very good indicators of what is important uh, to us. So let me ask you this. Do do you, do we regularly pray that God would make us, us, all of us, worthy of His calling? When you're praying for the brethren, is that what you're praying for them? And, and And we should pray for other needs, but this is more important than anything else. It's more important than being healed of cancer. Emily's sister has been diagnosed with with metastatic metastatic breast cancer. Uh, They found at least six spots so far with more testing to go. And we would love for her to be healed by the Lord. But more important than that is that through this she is growing to become in, uh, to be worthy of the calling, to growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a prayer that we need to be praying for us if we want spiritual reformation in, in our lives. I think of you know, us who are parents here. What is our greatest priority for our children as we pray for them? Do we ask God to grant them good health, academic success, professional success, do we do that more than we pray that they would be transformed by God's power and grow into Christian maturity? If, if that's the case, we need to re- rearrange our priorities. It's time for spiritual reformation as we think of our, our kids. To what extent are our goals as parents different 
from those of our non-Christian neighbors? Or are we desiring the same thing of our Christian, of our, of our children as our non-Christian neighbors are of their children? Now, our prayers often give us an honest and sobering window into what we truly value. And Paul says that we need, what we need to value is growth in Jesus Christ for all of us. Now, the second petition here is also in verse 11. Paul prays that God, by his power, might fulfill believe, the, 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 the believer's every resolve for good and for every faith-prompted prompt work. He's asking that God would give them the grace to continue to do the things that the Spirit of God has worked in their hearts. You know, um, before we came to Christ, we had certain desires. We wanted to accomplish certain things, and we come to Christ. We have different desires, and we have good desires that are worthy of, of our identity in Christ. And Paul is praying, Lord, give them the grace to do just that. Those good things that you've laid in their heart. Give them success in serving you. Now in Philippians 2.13, Paul says that God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But here, if you look at verse 11 again, he asks God to fulfill every desire of believers for goodness. What the believer desires for good. And, and these texts aren't at odds, but rather express a profound and complementary truth that when people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ with faith and repentance, as the Thessalonians did, God begins to transform their desires, their goals, their ambitions, and their activities. A person who previously pursued self-advancement and personal pleasure may have new desires now to share the gospel with neighbors, to reach out to an acquaintance who recently lost a spouse, to start a Bible study in the workplace, and probably praying, give them success in those new desires. Bring those things to fruition in their lives. That's the goodness that Paul is praying, uh, uh, praying for. The goodness that is coming out of their faith in Jesus Christ as they interact with those people around, around them. And in praying that, Paul expects Christians to formulate new purposes for good. But he also realized that good intentions and properly directed efforts are nothing without God's power. And that's why Paul prays constantly for the churches, that God would be the one that gives them the power to stay committed and to keep on doing the things that the Spirit has called them to do. Even here in this passage, starting in verse 3 following, Paul thanked God for the Thessalonians believers' work of faith, their work, the labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. And here he prays that God would exercise his power to fulfill or bring to fruition all their desires for good in every work of faith. And this is the thing, brothers and sisters, unless God works in us and through us, unless God empowers these good purposes of our lives, they will not create any enduring spiritual fruit. If it is not God the one enabling us to do what is good, that good is not going to last. That good is not going to produce any fruit. Do you see, do you see what I'm talking about here? You have, you have two people. You have Jerry and Tracy. Both start a Bible study. 
both people, both have people coming. But Jerry is doing because he wants to be the cat's meow of Bible studies. And Tracy is doing because she loves those people that want to see them come to salvation. Paul is praying for Tracy's kind of Bible study, not Jerry's kind of Bible study. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> even though the, the Word of God never retains void, and, and even when it's, it's used for uh, personal gain, as it were, it still can produce fruit. But he's praying that it's out of his grace that this, these good commitments would take place. So without God working in us, our efforts will not display any life-transforming, people-changing power. And that's why God, and that's why Paul prays. Because unless God is working in us, there's not going to be any transformation through us in those that are around us. So Paul's prayer summons us to reconsider our personal agendas and our personal priorities with God's, you know, to, to, to make them be the same as God's, and also to pray that God would fulfill our good purposes and all those good deeds that faith prompts us to do. So these are the two petitions that Paul prays for the Thessalonians. And if we're serious about revival and spiritual reformation in our lives, and life of our church, and life of our communities, we're going to be praying prayers like this for each other as well. And Paul has two ultimate goals in verse 12. Look at verse 12. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the two goals there? What's the first one? That's the first, easiest one to see. That Christ and God be glorified. What is goal number two? So is that God be glorified and that the believer be glorified. Isn't it? Is that what it says? That you in him and him in you. So, uh, and that rubs us wrong. And we're going to take a look at this hopefully in a minute here. But first Paul desires to see Jesus glorified in the church. Paul desires Jesus to be glorified in each one of you. That's why he prays these prayers. And that has to be a desire for one another. That we pray prayers that are, that have the, uh, as its ultimate goal, that Jesus be glorified in our midst. Now, the, the Christian's finest and highest longing is that Jesus be praised. At least that should be uh, the Christian's finest and highest longing. Yet so often we secretly clamor for our own praise and advancement. And I, I think this danger is particularly, this is this is particularly dangerous and harmful for those that actively engage in Christian service, even for, for pastors, where um, that's all we do, in a sense, is, is trying to, to, to teach people about God and, and uh, pray for people and so on. And the motive can become so that I might be acknowledged and exalted. And that can never be the motive. The glory of Christ in us has to always be the motive. So the Apostle prays that the Thessalonian believers would increase in their maturity and increase in their fruitfulness so that Christ be glorified in all that. And the second one is, is the one that's surprising for us is that he, he, his goal is that the believer be glorified, the glory of the believer. Now, what does that mean? 
Any idea with what that might mean? It's future. Okay. So there is an ultimate glorification, like in Romans 8.30, right? You get in the bus or in the train, and you go from predestination to glory, right? In, in, in the end, okay? But what else? Transformed the image of Christ. Transformed the image of Christ. And how does that happen? Amy. Sanctification. Sanctification, yes. I think that's one... So Paul, uh, Paul does... Uh, refer to this eschatological, this future way that God is going to glorify everyone who calls, who is who He calls, and, he's, and he, who He justifies. And that process, that is not a process, an act. That act of God is when sin is completely removed from body and soul, and body and soul are joined together and resurrected for eternity in the presence of Christ. And when that happens, all sin and decay will be removed and we'll enjoy the perfection of God's presence forever in the new creation. But even now, increments of that is happening. Even now, as we behold the glory of the Lord Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. 18. We're being transformed from glory to glory as we behold ourselves as in a mirror. And I think Paul here is borrowing some words from James when James says that we see ourselves in the mirror of the Word of God. And as we behold, behold ourselves in the mirror of the Word of God, we are growing from glory to glory. Every moment of sanctification is a glorious moment. And we're going from glory to glory. And Paul is motivated to pray. Paul has that the goal he prays for the believers that they may be glorified, that, that each day he's a little more like Jesus Christ. Well, a whole lot more. We, shouldn't, we have a big God, so we don't have to pray that, that we'd be just a little more like Christ. We can pray that we can be a whole lot more like, like Christ, and he's able to do that. And these are the sort of prayers, these, these are the sort of goals that we have to have with all our prayers. So for believers to be glorified is to be made like our glorious Lord. That's what John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, 1 and 2. Now, on the final day, the Lord Jesus will be glorified in us because of what we have become by His transforming grace. And we will be glorified in Him because of what He has done for us. And ultimately, it's all for His glory because even our glorification is His doing, not our doing. And then lastly, the ground for why is Paul praying this? So we saw the petitions themselves. We saw the, what is it that Paul is trying to accomplish, the goal. What pushed him to pray? Look at the end of verse 12. She says he's doing all this according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ground, that's the motivation of Paul's prayer. Paul, Paul does want the Christian to try hard to be like Jesus, but only because the grace of God is powerfully at work within us. He prays these things because the grace of God is present in our lives. In every one of you who is a true believer, the grace of God is in you, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, working these things out. So Paul can pray these things because the operative grace of God in, in, in the indwelling of the Spirit in you is at work in you. And God is going to answer these prayers. Right? The power is there already. Uh, 
the power, as Paul says in Ephesians, the very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is at work in you right now. It's not a future thing. It's a present thing. Because right now, that power is at work in you. We become fruitful by grace. We, we persevere by grace. We mature by grace. By grace, we grow in love with one another. By grace, we cherish holiness and a deepening knowledge of God. Because Paul knew that. He's able to pray. The, 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 the grace of God in us pushes Paul to pray. So Paul reminds us that at the end of his prayer, that everything he has asked for is available only on the basis of grace. A grace that's only available to those who have a faith in Jesus Christ that excludes any attempt to bring some good work before God. A, f- a faith that's happy to bring nothing. Only Christ himself. If we want to be revived, that's the kind of prayer. That's the kind of goal. That's the kind of motivation we need to have as we pray for one another. Before I close, does anybody have any thoughts or questions? So Paul's eternal perspective and his regular practice of thanking God for, sign, for the signs of his work in other believers prompt his worthy petitions for the Thessalonian church. So Paul's aware of the grace of God, the little signs of grace in everybody's life. So in order to pray these prayers, we need to be aware of what's going on and what God is doing in each other's lives and be recognizing these evidences of grace in each other's lives. So the apostle asked God to make these Christians worthy of, the, of his calling and to bring to fruition their efforts for good. He even say their ambitious efforts for good. Godly ambition, not selfish ambition. Paul prays to the end that Jesus would be glorified and praised and that believers would be glorified in Christ, transformed to be like that glorious Lord. And that has to be a prayer for one another. That tomorrow, we're going to be in a different degree of glory than we're today. And then the day after, a, different, uh, a little higher degree of glory, more and more becoming like our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I didn't plan this way, but in God's providence... If you take heed to this lesson, we'll prepare you for, for some hard things that we're going to be talking about. Sunday, uh, uh, that has to do with the grace of God in election. In Sunday school, as we continue in our, on our series on the foundations of our faith, we enter into the last part of our series, which is the doctrine of salvation. And we're going to, to take a look at how God saves, and we're going to start with eternity past. And then move on from, from there. Well, let's pray together. Glorious God, we thank you that you are God of grace. We thank you that your grace was shed abroad through the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that our Savior ascended into heaven and gave gifts to his church. And we thank you that he even today is ruling over us as our gracious, benevolent King who is in the business of gifting us with free grace. We pray that we would be found worthy of the calling, that we would become worthy of the calling in this life that you've called us in Jesus Christ. Enable us to grow in our faith, 
We pray, Father, that the, we would also be empowered by your Spirit to do the good things that we desire to do because of your work in our hearts. We pray you dismiss us with your blessings tonight. Be with all our Sunday school teachers as we prepare for Sunday. We pray to bless them in the preparation. We pray that they would grow in Christ even as they study. Bless the preaching of your word as well. And prepare us to commune together with you and one another on your day. For asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Dismissed.